<clears throat> awesome, awesome. Okay, it all looks good. Um, okay, that's 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 good. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Lightning. And we are here on our third and final episode for now of Maximum Cage. Maximum Cage. <laughs> this is where Not Your Father's Movies has briefly transformed into a podcast that is just about the films of Nick Cage. Um, if I had had my druthers, that would be what this whole podcast was about anyway. <laughs> But we're here just exploring it in a little three-episode run. If you haven't listened uh, to our previous two episodes, those were Moonstruck and Con Air. And this episode is on Joe from 2013. I think that this is going to be kind of a little bit of a shock, I think. It's very different from Moonstruck and Con Air. They are, compared to this, more similar. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I think also, even as little known as Moonstruck is... I think even that's more well-known than this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think Moonstruck is actually pretty well-known. I'm, I'm... We'll see if the downloads pay, uh, pay that out. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. I'm just, like, seeing all the people responding to it. Like, there's a lot of people who have a lot of love for Moonstruck, as they should. As they ought to, yes. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, we're recording this before Con Air actually uh, hits your ears, but um, I think just about everyone and their mom has heard of Con Air. I think everyone's at least heard of it. Yeah, but we're here to talk about a very interesting, tiny, bizarre, dark little grimy movie called Joe. Um, and to kind of enable us in this descent into uh, the human psyche, we have uh, Letney here joining us. Thanks, Letney, for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. Yeah, we just got to get you on all the time. I don't know. You know, whenever we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just uh, before we dive into our episode on Joe, we like to start our episodes off with a little segment called, you know, what have our kids or we been watching? Um, I'll start off. Uh, the Academy Awards have just been uh, announced as to what the nominees are, and I'm trying to catch up on the things that I missed. And something I did miss from last year was um, the animated film Raya and the Last Dragon. Obviously, one of the first um, mainstream animated films to feature a, a mostly Asian cast. Um, in a completely original, really cool fantasy world. I was very excited to check it out. Um, watched it with my whole family. And um, this movie's a fart. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to say that. I, I really wanted to like this movie. Um, it's not because of the Asian representation. It's not because of really anything about anyone involved in the movie. Um, the voice cast is fantastic. The animation is truly breathtaking. I just hated the story, and I hated all the characters. Oh, um, I didn't okay. like what anyone was doing at any moment at any time. <laughs> and I thought it was dumb <laughs> and it made me really angry. <laughs> uh, there are numerous points in this movie where I was shouting at the screen in front of my, my wife and, and my two daughters just being like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. That's stupid. <laughs> That's the wrong thing to do. So the idea behind the movie, since we'll never do an episode on it, the idea behind the movie is that there's this fantasy world that used to live in peace and prosperity when there were dragons. There's this evil that was unleashed upon the world. The dragons had to sacrifice themselves to stop the evil. And then in their absence, mankind has sort of torn itself apart, trying to get at the last bit of dragon magic. Um, and this story takes place very quickly. Whenever the dragon magic is around, the dragon magic is split across these kingdoms. And then the story fast forwards again, um, to when our main character is an adult and she is trying to unite all the dragon magic that's scattered throughout the land. It's kind of interesting. There's a, 
There's an armadillo bear that she rides around on. Cool. That's voiced by Alan Tudyk, who only makes bear noises. Um, <laughs> continuing the trend of Alan Tudyk <laughs> being in Disney movies, just making noises. Um, and she's Rhea is a really compelling uh, uh, protagonist uh, at the beginning. And I think this movie really loses its wheels, especially once the central thesis is revealed, which is continue trusting people, especially if they have proven themselves to be betrayers. Hmm. And then just keep trusting them because it's better to trust people than be distrustful, even if they keep betraying you and making things worse. Because when you, they finally do uh, sort of redeem your trust, it will be better for everyone. Hmm. It's infuriating. Hmm. It's an infuriating film. I think hmm. it's like a deeply problematic message to send to kids. This hmm. is a no. And it's nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. And absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, this shouldn't. No. What, what is this doing here? No, Luca is better than this. And I don't like Luca. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've been watching. It's now the second week in a row that I've watched an animated film with my family that I hated. <laughs> um, hopefully <laughs> next week it'll be a little better. <laughs> um, Lenny, what, what have you been watching? So I watched a movie last night. Uh, it's called A Hero. Have you guys heard of this movie? Oh, it was yeah. good. Farhadi's new movie. It was really good. Yeah. So it's by Iranian filmmaker uh, Oscar Farhadi. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's set in Iran. And it's about this guy who has uh, this huge debt. And I guess that's the way it is in Iran, that if you have a huge debt and you can't pay it, you get sent to debtor's prison. Uh, so the movie is kind of about him trying to get his life back. And I don't want to say much more about it because I don't want to give anything away. But... Uh, I think the movie is really interesting in terms of its uh, moral complexity. Uh, it's a movie where it's a movie about like the small decisions you make and how your decisions can have consequences and about shades of gray. And throughout the movie, you go from like admiring this guy to pitying him, to hating him, to being disgusted by him. Uh, so it's just a really interesting thought provoking movie. So highly recommend. That's amazing. And it's free on Amazon. So well, I appreciate you bringing a, a sort of adult intellectualism um, to this. <laughs> I wish that I could say I had seen a hero. Um, I really look forward to checking it out. I, I do too. Is it nominated for best? No, it was shut out. Why though? I wonder. I don't know. I guess we haven't seen like any of them. So he has he has come up before. I believe he was nominated for a separation. Yeah, right. Right. Um, I think he's a, kind of one of those consistently nominated filmmakers. Yeah. So I wonder if just because of that, he was mm -hmm. passed over. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie won the the grand prize at the Cannes Film Festival. Ah, uh, the oh, Grand Prix. So, the Grand Prix. <laughs> That's surprising that it wasn't nominated. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, we haven't seen any of the other. I don't think like Drive My Car isn't available. Nope. And worst person uh, in the world. Worst person in the world. Yeah. Flea, I think, is really hard to get a hold of as well, yeah. and that's also nominated. Yeah. Um, that's nominated for best uh, animated. Best animated, well. best documentary, and best international. It's gotten three nominations. I think it's the first time ever. Yeah, that, that one film's something. gotten all three. It's something. Maybe all three. Yeah, <clears throat> I uh, yeah, I look forward to watching all of those. Um, so that's a hero streaming on Amazon Prime, and Ray and the Last Dragon is on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, for me, I uh, we didn't watch anything this week. Um, I mean, like not kids, Bluey. Well, well, okay, okay. Let's be honest here. There was some Bluey. Uh, we tried to take a little turn back towards Octonauts. Uh, that that failed spectacularly. <laughs> we are not watching Octonauts anymore. We are. I mean, I Bluey. envy you that though. I yeah. really envy you that because I well, I am sick to death of Octonauts. I swung for the fences on on Sean the Sheep again. Sean the Sheep, yep. which is just charming, great, gorgeous. charming, 
it's always fun. Bluey's always fun too. It's just Sean the Sheep, but the episodes are like a little bit longer. Exactly. Yeah. And it so there's no voices. I don't know how I feel about this in myself, but Bluey does not autoplay the next episode, which I like. However, on the one hand, on, on the one hand, however, that means that they're only 10, 10 minutes long, maybe yeah. 11 minutes long. Yeah. So it's not very long. And someone has to press OK to go to the next episode, which in theory I prefer. However, at this point, my children now know how to use the remote. Yeah. Which I do not like. <laughs> I do not like waking up. And my daughter has turned on the television. Yep. That is not something I, I want to happen. So, Bluey, I have a love-hate relationship with you at this point in my life. Hopefully, it turns to love only soon. At a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what we have done as a family, I started reading my kids uh, The Hobbit. J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Um, and I know that's not a movie, but uh, I, like, uh, I like reading to the kids. It's fun to watch. We tried reading it before. And uh, it did not work out. So I'm really enjoying sharing this uh, piece of uh, culture that I love deeply with them. They're enjoying it. I really do want to read The Hobbit out loud because I remember, yeah. I remember just how how important that was. Yeah. Uh, when my when my dad read it out loud to me, I would like to. I think I just got to start reading other things out loud, which means I need to invest the time into reading out loud, which means I need to make selections and then really commit to doing it every night. You know, dad shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I kind of don't want to do it because it's really time consuming. <laughs> it's very time consuming. But it's totally worth it. And like, and, and it's fun to do because The Hobbit is really fun. And, uh, you know, it was it was weird, though. I had this moment and, and I'm going to share something a little personal here. Hmm. So I was I was reading it like my my baby son was on my knee and my three-year-old and my five-year-old were both there. And I was suddenly, I was just like taken back to when my dad read uh, The Hobbit to me. And I was probably the age of my oldest daughter. I was probably five years old when he read it. And um, I was struck with this thought like, oh man, this is, you know, like this is terrible. Like my son, my son is just going to grow up with The Hobbit. It's not going to be this huge revelation of the, of the whole world when he's, when he's five or something. We're going to come back and read it again and again, you know, throughout the years. But then, you know, I sort of dwelt on that for a while. Uh, and I thought, like, wow, this is actually really cool. Um, here's something. I, I don't know. This is something that that maybe I've just been, um, I don't know, if struggling with is the right word, but um, contending with or, or something. Just this idea of, like, different things that were really important in my life maybe occurring at different times in my kid's life uh, and how that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a bad thing just because it didn't happen exactly the way it happened to me. Right. Um, which I thought was kind of a cool, cool thing to realize for me. So go me. Yeah. That's a, that's <laughs> a really cool revelation. I think it's probably really important too. I think a lot of people do try and, you know, if they had a really good childhood, they try and, and, and do that childhood again for their kids. Yeah, if it was really bad, you know, they try and do the opposite and try and fight against the tendencies. But it is hard when you have to strike out kind of in un, kind of unsearched territory yeah. and try and do something new. Um, and that should always be applauded. So yeah. fantastic job, dude. Thanks. Love that. So when are they going to watch some, some of Askar Farhadi's films? 
Oh, very soon. Very soon. <laughs> Can't start too early. Just starting with the separation. Just, there we go. Just start with the easy one, you know? Exactly. Awesome. Well, that, that's what we've been watching um, for me, Ray and the Last Dragon, for Letney, a hero. And for Mike, he's been reading The Hobbit to his kids. So I guess bef- uh, before we really jump into talking about Joe... Uh, let's just talk a little bit about who this movie comes from. It's directed and produced by a fella of the name uh, David Gordon Green, who's had one of the more bizarre careers in Hollywood. I have a, a note here for a question for later. Uh, it says, uh, WTF is up with David Gordon Green. I'm just going to tackle that right now because yeah. uh, it's really strange. Very odd. So this guy starts out, he does some shorts, and his first feature is a, is a film called uh, George Washington. Um, where if I can just read you the summary, a group of children in a depressed small town band together to cover up a tragic mistake one summer. The sobering little coming-of-age story, right? Um, Then after that, he does a few smaller movies, very character-driven, All the Real Girls, Undertow, Snow Angels. And then in 2008, he uh, he, uh, uh, directs Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express! (laughs) A classic! (laughs) The stoner comedy with James Franco and Seth Rogen. Follows it up with Your Highness in 2011, an R-rated comedy, and also The Sitter in 2011, another R-rated comedy. The first Your Highness is obviously with Danny McBride and The Sitter with Jonah Hill. Um, Then he takes a step back and does Prince Avalanche and Joe, both in 2013, both, again, sobering kind of dramas, um, before jumping ahead again to do multiple episodes of Eastbound and Down, Danny McBride's, like, downer comedy show on HBO. Um, Does a couple other, like... Uh, direct to HBO films like Manglehorn uh, with Al Pacino. Then is just working in TV, work, like directing really dark comedies like Vice Principals. And then is the guy tasked with reinventing Halloween and does Halloween and Halloween Kills. While he's doing those two movies, reinventing one of our largest horror franchises, he's also again directing Danny McBride in an HBO show, The Righteous Gemstones. Um, and now he's tasked with not only rebooting The Exorcist for a new generation, but also a Hellraiser TV show. TV show. I don't understand this guy. I have no understanding of what inspires him or what he thinks is interesting or cool. But this might be one of the only times that we ever talk about David Gordon Green. Because yeah. I really don't know if we're ever going to do Pineapple Express, although maybe. It seems like in his early career, he was interested in doing character-driven dramas. And then he liked money. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think that's what drives him. It could, it could be, but it's like it's like Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals, you know, the Danny McBride, Walton Goggins show, and um, uh, the Righteous Gemstones. Like, you know, these are fairly well-to-do HBO black yeah, comedies, but they're not a wide audience. Yeah, I, did, I have actually not seen any of them. Um, Eastbound and Down is funny-ish, right? Uh, Vice Principals is so uncomfortable it's so deeply uncomfortable it's really hard to laugh i'm mostly just laughing at how badly i feel i just have a really hard time with this fella and then with halloween kills just being the epic fart that it is uh i don't understand this guy's career at all um but he does this i in my opinion really beautiful movie called joe that we're here to talk about um so shout out to david gordon green you have the most puzzling career i've ever seen um this is a uh, based on the novel by larry brown uh written for us by gary hawkins who, as far as I can tell, has done nothing else of note. Um, and it stars in the three main roles. Nicolas Cage as Joe, the eponymous character. Ty Sheridan as Gary, the, a kid that he encounters. And Gary Poulter as uh, Gary's dad, Wade, a.k.a. G-Dog. This is a really cool guy. 
Gary Poulter. I don't know if you guys know anything about this man. Um, he was an extra in a TV show in 1987, but was found in Austin uh, homeless on the street and was recruited to be in this film. Um, the insurance companies were very nervous about having him because he was a, he was a very active alcoholic. Um, and later, right after this movie premiered, he was found dead under not great circumstances on the edge of a lake. Um, this is like a true one and done um, kind of performance. Like it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's incredible. It's lived in. It's real. It feels very uncomfortably raw because in a lot of ways, I think he was really just kind of playing himself. And it's, it's very tragic that, uh, that he was never able to do anything more. But I, I, I loved him here. The movie is dedicated uh, to his name. And then finally rounding out our cast, we have Ronnie Jean Blevins, who I'm only mentioning because he actually showed up in Dark Knight Rises as a scarred cement truck driver scarred cement truck driver <laughs> i think he was the best part of dark knight rises you troll <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and he plays willie russell the kind of coward asshole um the main bad guy sort of the one that's easiest to hate yeah right like because well because wade is is hateable but i don't know i always felt a grain of pity it's hard to see a man in yeah. the depths of that much addiction and and blame him completely you yeah know? yeah so that kind of rounds out who is in this movie who's doing it sorry just to add on to the the um gary Poulter. gary Poulter, uh apparently also all of the uh the workers the uh, the crew were just regular day workers they weren't actors so um it seems like there's a really cool kind of naturalistic you know filmmaking approach here where he's not looking for actors apart from the leads and he's just employing real people to make this feel as real as possible and they talk like real people too, which I really love. Yeah. I love that, you know, they don't nail their lines. You know, there's yeah. a lot of like hesitation and they have to like try it again. Cause that's how people talk. You know, no one just rips off a banger in response yeah. to someone's insult. Like right away, there's, there's a little bit of uh, hemming and hawing and trying to make your words sound right. Um, and everyone's like talking over each other constantly. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like we do. I mean, so much of that, <laughs> I mean, so much of that seemed like it was either unscripted or ad-libbed. I, I just love, you know, one of the guys, uh, Nick Cage is driving him back and he's like, hey man, give me a cigarette. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to start yeah. getting this out of here. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> or when, when the, the boy, Gary, wants to buy the truck and the guy's like, you want to buy that truck? It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. I like the way it smells. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. It smells so it bad. It smells like ass. Yeah. Like, that truck smells like ass. You got like eight dudes just cramped ass to ankles in this thing after a 10-hour day chopping trees. <laughs> Oh man, uh, no! Thank, thank you, Letney. Yeah, um, I, I have a, a quick story. I guess I want to tell about my first impressions with this. There's a, there's a couple movies that we'll be doing um, that I saw all in like the same period of time. There was a, there was a point late one summer. This would have been the summer of 2014 where I got, I got injured um, at work, and so I was out on medical leave for about a, a month. I, I tore a ligament in my back, and so I was mostly on my back on the tile floor of our kitchen that I shared with my roommates and people would have to like step over me, but I was laying on the tile cause it was hard and it was cold and it felt good on my back. And I had nothing to do. I had nowhere to go. I had, my roommates were all going to work during the day. So I was just alone. And I had a really good friend who would stop by after work, but uh, we would work out like going to the red box and getting a bunch of DVDs. And this was one of the movies that we watched together um, when he come keep me company. And I just remember, uh, I just saw Joe. I just saw Nick Cage. It looked like a, a kind of a serious kind of movie. I mean, Mud with McC Matthew McConaughey had just come out a little bit prior. It has a very similar kind of uh, poster. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. I bet Nick has got something here. 
And I remember just watching this, just knowing nothing about it with my friend and just being just blown away that there was this little independent movie that was so deep and so dark and just went for it really hard. And Nick Cage was, was unlike I'd ever seen him, you know? And this movie's always kind of stuck in my mind, um, especially the sequence when he uh, lets the dog loose in the brothel. I always Holy remember shit. that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. One of the few times that Nick actually kind of like lets his own leash off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember always being moved by it. And so when we were talking about doing Maximum Cage, this was one I really wanted to to try and talk about. Because otherwise, I don't know when I'd ever speak about this movie. And I don't know when I'd ever get someone to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, but that, that that's where I came at it from. This is only the second time I've seen it. Um, Lenny, what, what did you make of this? What are your first impressions? Yeah, I mean, uh, you exposed me to this movie, so I saw it for the first time this week. But I was absolutely blown away by it. I think it's... Uh, it's, it feels really real, and I think there's a lot of depth to it. Yeah, just just really powerful movie. Yeah, this was this was my first time seeing it as well. And man, what a whiplash from Con Air and Moonstruck <laughs> to this movie! It's so different. Uh, Nick Cage definitely like underplays in this role for the most part. Uh, this isn't this isn't the Nick Cage that this isn't your your daddy's Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of this that I like um it was really i don't know it, it was really something else to see I, I think that they did a really fantastic job of uh creating a re like you said like a realistic environment like the work the workers the people working on this crew and the people in this town and stuff it's real and uh, i appreciate it in a way I, I feel like i haven't seen that very often uh if ever this well done at least but at the end of the day, man, I don't really like this movie. I kind of dislike this movie. I think it's not a good movie. Interesting. Um, and uh, I, uh, I, I'm out on it. Yeah, I'm out on Joe, man. Everyone's doing a great job here, but there's something about it that feels almost manipulative uh, in a way that I don't like. Um, I mean, even just the fact, like, Gary Poulter is actually, like, He's an alcoholic, yeah. homeless man. Yes. Playing an alcoholic, homeless man. And yeah. he's playing himself. Uh, it feels exploitative in a way. And uh, that I, that's... I don't know if this movie is worth that. It seems a strange way to... I mean, it, I don't, I'm not saying it's a strange accusation to level at it, but it seems a strange accusation to level at this movie, which, in my mind, does not bear any of the hallmarks of something exploitative yeah yeah that's fair and that's why i'm I, like i i'm a little conflicted uh about it to be honest it, it's it's i'm 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 here to be convinced that i'm wrong um i, I, I of, mostly want to hear more about about what you think though like so so yeah. you said a couple things that i really want to dive into that um let, let's just dive right into that so so you said yeah. uh so number one i'd like to ask so does it feel exploitative in regards to uh gary polter's character because he was a real life alcoholic and sort of sort of like the making of this movie might have um, encouraged that. I don't know about uh, encouraged it, but I don't know, in a way, took advantage of it or something like that. Um, there's a bit of a conflict in that because it's like, oh, well, so say you made this movie with someone who wasn't a real life alcoholic. Is that OK? Well, maybe there's something there's something kind of external to the movie about the fact that, you know, three months after after the premiere, he was found dead. 
yeah from his his addiction mm-hmm. um that makes it kind of hard to to watch this movie yeah um but i don't think it's just that i think that I think that movies like this, I feel like they there, there were a bunch of them that came out around the same time. They kind of focused on just like being realistic and, yeah. and stuff and sort of heightening the tension and making things worse, putting people into the worst possible situation, then making it worse. Um, and that's very that's still happening. That. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's... Uncut Gems came out. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I that's a part of it and and i mean maybe even the character of joe is someone i don't really like or maybe it's something that i want to dive into yeah is is this you know i don't think joe is someone that we should really admire no um and i don't know if this movie wants you to admire him but i also don't know if it wants you not to well i think that's one of the things i really like about the movie is that we're not getting the typical boilerplate Hollywood white knight hero, that this is a very, very flawed man uh, and a very realistic type of person who could do a lot of good and help people, but has their own demons. Yeah. So I guess I agree with you, but that's what I like about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Let's, let's, let's ask another. So I guess I would say um, in talking about exploitation here, um, we just talked about the Dark Knight, where the one of the stars of that movie did die according to his demons. Now, I don't think that um, Gary Poulter killed himself, um, but I think he did die from his issues. Uh, same with Heath Ledger. You know, that was ruled not a suicide. It was ruled just a lethal mixture, a cocktail of prescribed drugs, right? I don't think that that retroactively makes the Dark Knight hard to watch, knowing that he's dead. Mm. And I also don't think that that movie is exploitative because of what he was going through to do that performance. You know, these are people with free will. I understand that addiction can corrupt that in some way, but you know, these are consenting adults who are agreeing to do this, these roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's not like when we were talking about, um, for example, the Godfather way back when, when um, the, what is it? The 16 year old girl, yeah. you know, that's exploitation. That should be called out. I don't think that's here. It, it's at least not in any way similar to a lot of other circumstances that you could call. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And and I disagree with you. I think that the fact that Heath Ledger died during the filming of The Dark Knight because of the issues that he was dealing with because of filming with the dark filming the Dark Knight does make it hard to watch. Mm. I don't think that that necessarily uh, disrupts the value of the of the art or of the of the the film in front of us. Um, but it's something to contend with. Um, for me, at least, it is. The... I feel like it's fairly okay. I don't want to speak for you then. Yeah. I, for me, it's like I don't know. It's it's a movie, right? Yeah. It's it. This is artificial, um, and so I can stop remembering that this is an actor, especially if the movie is good. Yeah. Or at least well made, which I I definitely felt with Dark Knight, obviously. But I also feel with Joe. Um, I I did I was not constantly reminded that this actor was dead. I was just yeah, invested yeah. in in Wade. It's not so yeah. It's not so much to me that like he's dead. It's the fact that this guy is just living. This is, I, I imagine, some version of his life, mm-hmm. and and that's you know, and and he said that he'd do it. He was fine with it, uh, which is you know, like that's fine. But uh, to, I don't know. I I feel like I have to contend with that when mm. I'm watching it. I didn't know he was dead when I was watching it. Mm. I mean, it it's I don't know. 
it's tough. Like it is very tough to see that character. These are hard characters to watch. And I think that that's not bad to have a movie with, with hard characters to watch. I don't, maybe it comes down to, I don't know if it's, is if this it's like real. Is like a risk reward scenario? Or are you saying like, or no, are you saying no, like no. How, how much of this is like a documentary? No, no, no. It's actually not that. It's just like that. Those are sort of additional on top of it. It's that, I don't know if it's, all of these things are worth it for this because I don't think I kind of feel like this movie is primarily manipulative to make you feel these emotions mm-hmm. rather than an actual story. Um, something that I really believe exists. I did not feel manipulated. I do have to say, I actually yeah. felt like this movie worked very against what you could call manipulation. Like I would call something like war horse manipulative, <laughs> you know, um, that, that hey, I really cried. Clear. Yeah. It wanted you to cry. You sheeple. Um, I went with my mom. It was beautiful. Yeah. I went with my mom too. All right. And I laughed at her favorite movie. <laughs> my mom is crying and I'm like, he's fine. It's a CGI horse. It wasn't a horse. He was a friend horse. It wasn't even a horse. He was a collection of pixels. Um, but that seems like a very clear case of manipulation. And in this one, I, I don't think that a very compelling argument, at least to my mind, can be made for this movie's manipulation, because I think the worst thing you can say about this movie is that with the exception of the final ending, where you see Gary with the truck and replanting the trees that Nick Cage had poisoned, right? Right. With the exception of that, I think the ending is very difficult to read and parse and feel. Um, the movie is does, makes does not try overly hard to make you feel anything. Um, it, it it presents things in my point of view. Does that how does that sound to you, Lightning? Where where do you fall in this? Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, I have you guys seen uh, the the movie that kept spring to mind while I was watching this was uh, the Devil All the Time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh yeah so i think it came out maybe in 2020 it's a it's a southern it's like a southern gothic kind of like this where but it stars uh i think tom holland yep um but anyways that movie seemed very manipulative to me where the all of the characters seemed unrealistic and the events were crazy dark and crazy horrific in a way that was just meant to make you feel Whereas this seems like these are real people. So it seems like, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you could, it, you could sort of, the, 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 the positive side, the, the negative side of moving is, is manipulative, right? So it seems like you could sort of ascribe those words to the same thing, sort of based on your perspective. But it seems like insofar as movies are about telling stories to give some insight into life, if you're, if you're taking realistic characters and putting through what feels like realistic scenarios, that feels to me closer to what storytelling should be. Mm. And thus, it doesn't seem manipulative to me in this case, I guess. I, I agree with that, like being being storytelling, but I guess I feel like I don't think uh, Joe's internal struggle is really believable. Um, and I don't really, I don't, and I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong, but... Um, it seemed like the situation that Ty Sheridan finds himself in is also fairly, uh, fairly unbelievable. Now that is, uh, now I say that I'm wondering about how much I know about the world. Um, and whether, whether that's true, you know, 
Um, but those are the things that I, where I'm feeling that um, in the first place, this is kind of an unbelievable situation. Uh, I feel like this kid and his sister and his, like the, like they've broken up by this point. He's pretty old, you know, and he is a much more uh, capable person than his father is. Um, and uh, I, I just don't, man, I, maybe it's just, I, I just don't care about Joe. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the reason why I'm out. I just feel like his internal crisis is, there's not much there. I think I think his this actually ties into a question that I'd like to ask about the movie, um, what the role of addiction plays. Yeah. Um, because this movie is very much about yeah. addiction and very much about how that can kind of take take a man over. Um, there's a there's a really good scene where right before um, well, I don't actually remember right before when it is, but there's a great scene when Ty Sheridan is Gary is talking to his mother, and she is, you know, saying that that he's a her, his father, you know, this abusive alcoholic asshole. Um, you know, it has his moments, you know, these moments where you, where she's at least saying like, he's a human being and we don't really see those moments. I mean, yeah. the movie literally opens. It's, it's actually my, my favorite scene. The movie opens with this long one shot of, of Wade smoking a cigarette while his son dresses him down and is talking and trying to like, you know, provide some solutions. Like we can't keep doing this. Like you're going to get your ass kicked. Like you're a bad dude. And then he just gets the shit whomped out of him. Yeah. And then his dad walks up the mountain, walks up this hill, and then gets the shit kicked out of him. And then it's it's Gary sort of looking over his shoulder, walking down the railroad tracks, uh, knowing that, watching this happen to his father. And there's even a scene where, where where Gary beats up this guy who makes a terrible comment about his sister. He's more than capable of freeing himself from the shadow of his father, um, but he's scared. He's really, really frightened because the thing about dads, especially really terrible dads, uh, who have addictions like this is that there's this in, innate thing that happens in the child where they feel like they can never um, overcome the father. The father is this looming shadow, even though he's a pathetic figure, even though they know they can literally actually physically best him. The power that he holds over their spirit is so great. They can't actually do it themselves. They need someone else to step in. That's actually, it's incredibly common. It's, um, it's yeah, it's incredibly common. So I, I think it's actually very believable because I've seen it so often, in, not only in my own life, but in, in other people's lives around me, this relationship between Gary and his father. And for someone like Joe, um, on the outside looking in, you know, you don't know where Joe has come from, you know, maybe he's had a past, maybe he has a dad like this, maybe he found a way out, maybe Joe had a Joe that helped him out. And he's trying to help Gary in that way, break out of that destructive cycle and find something new. And I, I, I love, that's what I love principally about this movie. I think this movie does fall apart in its final act, the final 15 minutes, I think. Um, but everything about the three-way relationship there where, where Gary is, has these two choices about the man that he can be, you know, a loser alcoholic like his dad, or, you know, a man who's doing something but is tormented by demons like Joe, you know, this pathological distrust of authority. Um, and he doesn't really want to do either one. He doesn't have Joe's hangups and he doesn't have his father's, um, whatever his father has that made him do this, right? He's trying to make his own way and he needs Joe's help to find out what that is. And so the ultimate happy ending of him being his own man and, you know, sort of free and clear, uh, fresh-eyed and clear-faced, clear-eyed and fresh-faced, sorry, um, 
going to the new job site is incredibly hopeful for me. And it, it's very inspiring for me to see. Um, I actually believed all of the relationships because I've, I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen a Joe. I've seen a Wade. I've seen a Gary. Um, that's what I loved about it. I don't, I don't know if that convinces you of anything, but I, I do think it's realistic simply because I, I've seen it. Yeah. Um, but you had another thing you said, Mike, yeah. that I was interested in. You said that you didn't think it was a very good movie. And I'd like to get into that, too. Well, I guess more of the story is is where the issue with the movie is. Um, also, like, I, the sound balance seemed off to me. But that the could just be my... The balance of sound uh, seemed off to me. Like, the music... I didn't vibe with the music. Maybe I was just in a pissy mood. When I watched this movie, I was like, I'm not going to like this movie. The Whatever worst thing, do, the worst thing I can say about the music in Joe is I don't remember the music of Joe. Yeah. It's not really <laughs> yeah, same here. constant. It's like this constant, like, that also is kind of indie drama though. It is. It's super indie drama from like the early 2010s. It does sound like you were a little like bent against this. Movie. I am, am going to say I, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to treat everything you're saying with like, with like absolute just and fairness, but at a certain point, I don't know. It seems like I, you have an ax to grind here. Yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, I, like this, this vector of all the worst possible things that could possibly happen to a person occur within like three people or four people inter interacting, like the worst things you could, it just so happened that like the guy that Joe beat up at the bar when he got drunk one, one night is also like this like horrible, like sex crazed human who like in like the fought, I, it's just I don't know I guess I didn't read it as coincidence because uh, yeah, it seems like faded. Gary has been living this life right yeah. and like there's that scene where uh, Joe is is hanging out with Gary on on Gary's porch and the sister comes to the door and then uh, Gary tells Joe that his sister just stopped talking yeah. so it seems pretty clear that the the sister the had some sexual abuse so it doesn't seem like all these events collided in one moment. It seems like this has been happening for years and years and years. And finally there's a Joe to, to help. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they talk about how they've been kind of transient. Um, and I, that's the thing about the Southern Gothic genre though, is that it, it's about cyclic depravity in a lot of ways, Yeah, you know, and breaking the cycle. Yeah. Or, or not, or not. right. Yeah. Um, and this one, it just so happened that there was, and that as is, I think, right and just and meet for a Southern Gothic hero, um, he also pays the ultimate price for his heroism, right? Um, and in that way, it seems very classical and it seems very, um, not normal, but I guess I, it doesn't jump out to me as something that, that bothered me as being coincidental. It seemed, it seemed like right for the genre. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the other thing I was thinking is that this seems like a very small town, very economically depressed. So it does seem like the kind of place where no one ever really leaves and everyone knows each other. And there's just these long, long standing feuds. Like it seems like Joe and whatever his name is have right. been feuding for years. Yeah, like they're just constantly going back and forth and beating each other up. And uh, it's coming to a head for sure. But. It, it doesn't seem coincidental to me, I guess, because it seems like it's capturing uh, a certain kind of place. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm just being pissy. But I mean, like, dude, okay, even then, I, I'm not out on the end. I actually kind of dug it. 
on one hand, but I, on the other by, hand, by the end, like, what do you mean? Like the the final confrontation. Oh, okay. Um, and the um, you know, him getting the job. I dug that as well. I, I love I that. That was I beautiful. Love that. I just and like I I I'd be interested. Like I want to move forward into talking about stuff that I did like because there is a lot that I do like about this movie. Um, but uh, even there, we get in this this hyper realistic tight movie. We get like the payoff of seeing Joe blow. Spoilers for Joe, blow the bad guy's brains out, and like it wraps up kind of nicely. Um, in a way that uh, isn't really realistic. I, I first of all, I disagree in saying that it's hyper real. It doesn't seem hyper real. It feels it feels bleak and dreamy, in a lot of ways. Because there's many details that are just completely ignored. Like we sort of, for most of this movie, you sort of drift between scenes, and sometimes the violence is like really shocking and very out of nowhere. It doesn't seem to me to be like a gritty safty esque thriller like we're talking about Uncut Gems right. or or Good Time, which I would right. say those are hyper realistic. This feels this feels very rural, very kind of agrarian. It, this feels like a like an old tale almost. Um, yeah, I think the sorry, the, I think the the characters and the setting feel really real, but I do think that the story and and the way it's told does feel very dreamlike. Uh, like one thing I was struck by is there's that scene where uh, Joe has just helped them show show them how to cut the deer, and then he walks outside. And then he gets shot, right? Yeah. And then it takes like it's it doesn't it takes like three scenes for the movie to tell us why he got shot. Yeah, we have no idea why it happened. You know, like any it, like it seems like a more straightforward movie would immediately tell you why that happened. He but, laid out after the guy, like like there would yeah. be a chase scene immediately, and instead yeah. it, it we switch point of views to go with Willie. Then we switch point of views again to go with Gary. Then Gary meets Willie at the bridge. Then Gary beats Willie up after Willie gets rid of the gun. Then Gary leaves with his dad. Like it's it's just a it's a strange moving movie where the parts don't seem don't work in clockwork with each other. We sort of we sort of like drift from scenes to scenes, following whichever character we just sort of almost randomly choose to follow, which I think is a problem with the movie that it's mm. not more focused. Um, my biggest issue though with the ending is is actually that it does tie up very neatly. Um, it has to tie up. It must tie up. There's an a, there's a the genre calls for the eventuality of an ending, right? Yeah. Everyone must meet their ends. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with Nick Cage doing it with the bad guy. That guy's been asking for it the whole movie, okay? Yeah. But my problem was with Wade's death, um, which is why Ooh, a question I had about does the role of Wade make sense? Okay, so movie opens. This, this is how I want to phrase the question. Movie opens. Uh, Wade beats up son, gets beat up by Willie, right? Then he kind of drifts along. We get Wait, that's Willie bit. that beats him up? I think that I think so. I it think, is? I think so. Did you see that? I just assumed it was some random people. But yeah, I thought yeah, that was knows. like the previous town. Yeah. Nothing, I don't know. I, I didn't get the sense that they were moving. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, he gets beat up. Yeah. Then he kind of drifts along for a while. Then we see him again where he beats another homeless man to death with a piece of metal for a bottle, half a bottle of wine. Um, a really cheap looking pink wine. Really cheap looking pink wine. I've drunk that wine, man. Yeah, but then, <laughs> we, then we have him like right in the scene where he's drinking the vodka with his son and he witnesses his son beat the guy up. Then he's threatening his son, wanting the money with the knife, right? He towers over him, physically demeans him. 
And then at the very end, he asks Joe, are you my friend? And then kills himself. Yeah. Um, I have a problem with this character because it, as, for as much as the performance I think is really good and many parts of this make sense for the story, I don't see a logical or clear reason for many of the things this character does. And just saying, oh, he's an alcoholic does not do enough to explain that to me. Um, specifically, I don't understand why he kills himself. I, I don't get it. He's lived with this self-loathing all this time. I don't really understand why his circumstances are so different now. Is it just because he doesn't have Gary to beat up on anymore? Because he's still got the daughter. Or does he not have access to the daughter? Is, is that not good enough for him? He just needs to crush Gary? Like, what, what's, what's the motivation here? I feel like, I mean, I feel like he sort of took on a role of being the avatar of alcoholism and the specter of Joe's future, um, which is destroyed, uh, which is unquenchable um, and un undefeatable. Also, the specter of, uh, of, of Gary's future as well, um, which is only able to be defeated when Joe himself uh, sacrifices himself for Gary, like has that sort of moment, um, which, you know, that it's not a character. Um, that's a, that's a, a plot avatar, device. That's a plot device. Um, which I, I mean, I, I feel like that kind of, that's a very good way of expressing maybe one of my, my key badly expressed problems as well. I just feel that maybe it would have been more impactful had his death been at the hands of Willie. You know, the one that we have seen been dominated by both Joe and Gary. Um, you know, to be brought low by that guy would have been, I think, very dramatically fitting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's just a weird decision to have, are you my friend? Smile. Alley oop! <laughs> yeah. He yeets himself out of the picture. <laughs> well, there's a sense that, like, this is actually i mean i don't know i gotta like i i was left wondering whether this was the first time he'd actually done this um where where he he pimped out his daughter yeah um, that's what letney was saying right but no you were saying that it seemed like sexual abuse had occurred before right yeah Those are not mutually exclusive i guess that's true i'm not sure if it was him or yeah who knows but yeah so I, I guess there's a lot of self-loathing in this character. Um, I guess it would make sense eventually he would kill himself, but I, uh, the, I didn't, I didn't believe the why. So I love, I love everything around that scene, and I love the things that happened before and after it. But just in that scene, I feel like you had to get, you, you had to get to the end of the movie, and you had to tie it up, and this is how you tied it up. And I, there should have been more. The great Southern Gothic writers give you more, or they give you much less. Maybe even much less would have been better. Like, if we don't see this confrontation, we just see the aftermath because we're taking Gary's point of view finally because our other main characters are gone, that would make a lot of sense to me as well. Like, we've taken, we've taken Gary's point of view, we've taken Joe's point of view, we've taken Willie's point of view, and we've taken Wade's point of view at different times in the story. So it makes sense if we condense all of them back to Gary, he's the protagonist, and he comes upon the scene after it's over. And, yeah. and his future and his, 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 uh, his fears and all the threats all fight without him being present and then he's left with the, the conclusion and he can make his own choices. That would have made a lot of narrative sense to me. And I'm, I'm a little bit miffed. We didn't get that. What do you, what do you think, Lenny? 
Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I agree that the death is the suicide is inscrutable, and maybe it is just trying to wrap everything up in a nice bow. But I do think there's more to. People want to say Gary, but it's not Gary. Wait, uh, wait. I think there's more to Wade than just as a, a plot device. Like I, I think there's there's something really interesting about the the picture of someone who's living in hypocrisy, right? Like there's that scene where he murders the homeless guy. He beats him to death horrifically with a wrench. And it seems like unnecessarily. It seems like he could have once taken the bottle, but he does this savage, brutal thing. And then in the next minute, it's, he puts his hand on the guy's head. It seems like he's praying. And then he kisses the guy's forehead. Yeah. So it seems like, to me, this seems like a realistic portrait of someone who is, so completely consumed by their addiction that they're living constantly in hypocrisy, that they are doing horrific things and then either forgetting about them or denying them. Uh, his abuse to his children and his wife. Uh, you know, there, there's that, that scene you, know you didn't mention. Me is is, is the, the bit in Arrested Development when Will Arnett gets caught in the roofie circle? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just flashed into my head. I wanted to share it. <laughs> no, that's a great scene. Uh, th there was one scene I wanted to point out that I don't like you mentioned in, in the, the history of Wade was there's that scene. Well, it's right before he, they have the confrontation on the bridge where he and, and Gary are just sitting outside and Gary's trying to get him to go. Let's go get some food, you know, and oh, he's, he's way too drunk. And then he starts trying to teach his son how to break dance. And it seems like that's, I mean, obviously he's like wildly drunk and way out of his mind, but it does seem like that's kind of the one moment in the movie where you get a little humanity yeah. and maybe a glimpse of like, there might be some good times in this family life. Obviously it's like 90% trash, but there might be enough good moments that is sort of taping this family together. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I just, I'm fascinated by that idea of someone who, who lives in that hypocrisy, who can do horrific things and just be in denial. Uh, and I, I, don't know, I think that that's, that, that seemed realistic to me, I guess. I agree with that. Yeah. That, that is a really good note. I like that a lot too. Um, yeah. I was, I was really taken by Mr. Poulter's performance. That's for sure. I was too. Yeah. Never seen yeah. That and that before. was a beautiful scene. Weirdly beautiful. Um, all right, so, well, we, we've gone a little far afield, but uh, let's yeah. bring it back here. Mike, what's a scene you did like? A scene I did like. I did like a lot about this movie. I did. I don't believe I'm, like, upset <laughs> and kind of angry because I felt like it wanted me to feel things. And I don't want something to want me to feel things. I just want to feel them. We heard you. All right? We heard you. But so, places where I felt really good about this We movie. disagree, but we, we yeah, heard you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really loved... Uh, I thought Gary's arc was really beautiful and um, enjoyable to be around uh, in in a weird way at some points and in a normal way in others. So when he first makes his way onto the job site and gets a job working for Joe, uh, killing trees, that man, that scene was just rad. Like that was that was fantastic. The music was a little much for me. I still cannot recall it was so one note. Vibey, <laughs> vibey. 
there's nothing there's nothing in my cerebral cortex that took in or thought to remember the soundtrack in any I, way. I i felt that way and then i watched like that scene again i was like yeah this this soundtrack is just like a little too vibey when i look at the poster of joe i hear a distant twangy banjo and that is all in my head i don't know but but whatever like so he's going around and like the guys are just showing him how to do shit and it's like man i don't know i've been on job sites i've been on cruise been the new guy been the old guy whatever and it's felt a lot like this yeah and you know what you know what even felt like is that these were nice people (laughs) they were being really nice (laughs) they seem like nice guys but like people like this feeling of being respected by your elders because you're a hard worker. Yeah. Like I remember getting that feeling when I was 15 years old, just like him. And um, it was really cool, but also like, they're like, Hey, you, you know, you're, you, I make it look easy. That's cause I'm a big man. You're a little guy. So you got, they kept, fig- they kept calling you got a lot of shit to figure out. <laughs> what are you doing there? Little boy. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love yeah, that. It was great. Like, but, but that's a part of them bringing him into like their yeah. society is like part of this is, is this sort of, Good natured uh, joyful, hazing. Yeah, good natured hazing. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. Watching his relationship develop with Joe was um, really interesting, familiar. Like, there's things about this that are familiar and a lot of things that are not. And that was that, – I, I really enjoyed that. The cinematography, like, the, the naturalist sort of – Just following guys at the camera. Play. Yeah, following guys at the camera and even just, like it's, – it's, the colors are beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. movie. Yeah. I guess that sort of adds to the dreamlike quality as well that, that you guys were referencing. It's, just, um, it's so it's so vibrant. It looks so much better than our lives do. Yeah. Um, or it looks so much worse. Yeah. Know? Or it looks so <laughs> much worse. Yeah. Really love that. That's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love so much about that. I love when he brings Wade to the job because I'm like I'm cringing inside. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I just and yeah. I love when he's like walking around because he's 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 a dry drunk now. He's walking around for water. You know he's he is parched. And he's drinking everyone's water. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Stop drinking my water, dude. That's my water. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great sequence because it's like an unbroken shot. And he literally, he's stepping onto the job site. He grabs one guy's water, drinks it, walks like 10 feet and grabs another guy's water, drinks it. So it's like. He's he's, he's dying, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he needs to get drunk again and lay down or we are about to get some really bad DTs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, and even like when uh, when Gary's like sitting with the guys and joking around at break time, you know, and he's like he looks over at his dad, and his dad's sitting there alone. You can, man, like that was you feel the cringe. Yeah, you feel that pain. Yeah, this guy's not gonna yeah. last long here. Yeah, and just just the pain that Gary's got to be feeling of like here's his dad, like he wants him to be his dad. Yeah, and he is not. He's embarrassed. He is the most embarrassing person that he can imagine. It's a great scene. Great collection of scenes. I love I love watching them work. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and just like sit in the back of the truck. Yeah, that's so fun. That's so <laughs> yeah. much fun. It looked wet. It looked oh wet when it was God. raining. Holy <laughs> shit, it looked wet. Oh yeah. yeah. uh, well, uh, Lenny, what, what's what's your favorite? So if you always don't if you guys don't mind, I want to read a a quote from one scene but tied to another scene. Interesting. Yeah. Go for it. So the quote is from kind of in the middle of the movie when uh, Joe is in bed or maybe just in his house with that girl what he's kind of protecting Yeah. and um, so here's what he says he says I don't know who I am but I know what keeps me alive is restraint it keeps me out of jail keeps me from hurting people the mark of some fucked up faith that there is reason a reason for all of this a reason in most moments that I shouldn't do what I want to do I do as I'm told 
These men who bust their asses work like dogs, and I believe in them, but every day they hurt. They get old, they peel back. There's no frontier anymore. And I watch that boy, and I see someone who's nothing like me, but he's a, fo- he's a child, folks, left behind with no defense. Balanced right there. So I, I kind of feel like that's, that's kind of the thesis of the movie. That's the heart of who Joe is. And I guess my favorite scene is the scene where uh, Gary comes to Joe after he's been beaten up and his, his sister has been taken. And there's that moment where he says, um, I can beat him up. And, and Joe hugs him and he says, I know you can. I know you can, but you don't, you don't have to do that. And it seems like what, what's unspoken there is that Joe has done this. Joe has gone out and committed violence before. Maybe this was how he became who he was. But, and he sees this child balanced right there, right? And in that moment, he takes that sacrificial role and he takes the bullet for the kid and he does what he probably did, but he doesn't want this child to do to go down the path that he went down. Uh, maybe that's not really a scene, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's the moment that really goes to me. Yeah, it's an amazing, um, I mean, the character sort of lays out what he's about and then kind of and fulfills it later. That, that's that's yeah. really cool. I had not tied those two together. I um, I love the contents of that that little middle bit, right, when he's talking, and I love the way it's shot, you know, in the dark. Um, he's shirtless, you know, and, and, and kind of manically smoking. I, and I love, I love the ideas behind it. I don't like how that's written. Um, it it smacks very much of I'm 25 years old and I'm writing this, <laughs> you know, um, but that doesn't take away from, I think the purity of the intention of that line of those lines, especially when he says these men, they hurt, right. That's a, that's a very, um, of, I don't know. It seems a little immature, a little half baked. And like you, you could, if with a one more pass, you could maybe make that into like an all time monologue about kind of the nature of work and the way it, it brings, men down and, and wears them out. Um, but even as it stands, I think it is a really beautiful explication of Joe's worldview and his ideas towards Gary and towards Wade. Um, it, is, it is really beautiful in that way. Yeah. Good call, Lenny. Nice, nice tying that together. I had not done that. I caught that on the, the second rewatch today. So. Oh, you've seen it twice. Wow, good for you. <laughs> well, the second rewatch was just on in the background while I was working. So, oh yeah, yeah, as 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 we do. <laughs> so you know, I'm remembering. So my TV's doing this thing. I don't know how to fix it. I've tried everything I can, but so it gets lighter and darker. It's adaptive. Like Ew. the screen adapts to the lightness. That's bad. It's really bad. It's really not. I've got adaptive brightness turned off. And so in that scene, I was just, I was completely unable to pay attention to what was going on. Cause I was like, what the hell is it's, going it's on with like, my <laughs> damn TV? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like going between light and dark and shit. Like it was, it was extremely annoying. I don't know what to do. It's so annoying. I like it's, it's turned off on the TV is turned off on the whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I really okay. So movies this, suck. I hate movies. This is really uh, unveiling something else that you're dealing with, like really shitty technology. I guess that's true. So that would definitely I, I need ruin to live your up viewing to, of something. To my own like like commitment to having good technology. You kind of do. Is. Your TV is little and dinky. It is little and dinky. I should get a bigger TV. I think you should get I a sh- bigger TV. I think TV. I need a bigger TV. I, I think wonder I, if I anyone can, will help me. I can get you a 55 inch for freezies. I, I I need a Joe in my life to get me a new TV. Um, I'll Joe you. All right. Awesome. 
Um, I don't want to say no, that. but but okay. I want to ask about that line. Like the there's the there's no frontier anymore. Do you feel like this movie deserves to have that line? That's like a big line, man. And like, I I I don't feel like this movie deserves that line. I feel like you've you've shown your extreme prejudice. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. I, mean, I like, think I think that this movie is pretending to greater ground than it should have. But you know what? Every time any of us make anything that's what we're doing anyways okay that's fair so good for this movie for having some balls and good for david gordon green for literally manifesting his own career in front of his eyes by just just trying his best and is this the best script no no it's not is this the best movie no no it's not but i think it's a really strong amateur work that's elevated by some very strong and Honestly, now we're seeing like Ty Sheridan is quite the professional actor, even if I think he's bad in most things that are not this. Um, but Nick Cage has given his best to this little movie too. Like he shouldn't have to do this. this is a four million dollar movie and it flopped. Yeah. Two and a half million dollars, it flopped. Yeah. This little movie. But uh, that's that's what Nick Cage does. He reads something that that moves him and strikes him, and then he just does his best with it. Um, I like the line. That's a good line. I don't know. Right. Just because Cormac McCarthy uses it doesn't mean that uh, Larry Hawkins can't use it. Larry Brown, that's his name. <laughs> Well, okay, no, but but to further my thought there, like, this sounds like what I would say if I was trying to explain why I was upset. It's like kind of a bunch of half-baked thoughts that, like, connect to things in my own mind. Yeah. And so this is actually me kind of turning a bit of a corner, a little bit of a corner on this movie where it's like, I, I kind of, maybe if it wasn't Nicolas Cage's voice reading it, it wouldn't carry the profundity or something that it it's trying to, or I, I don't know. Um I'm trying to say is that I like it a little bit more thinking about it a little bit more is how I'm where I'm trying to get with this. I mean, look, that's the most we can ask. All right. That's the most we can ask. All right. Just give it a fair shake. Like yeah. if you don't like it, great. Don't like it, but don't like it for real sound reasons. Yeah. Not just cause you were pissy. Yeah. You know, I, I hate many things just cause I was pissy and I wish I didn't. And I like it when I can point to something like I did with Ray and the last dragon and be like, that is what sucks. That's why I hate it. Because once you do that, once you're once everyone's clear in what everyone believes, that's where you have a conversation, right? Yeah. That's what we're here for. We're glad you could share. Yeah. We're glad that we could go, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, no. you asshole? <laughs> I knew I was going to lose you on one of these, and I'm glad it was the last one. You know, maybe it's just because I was like, I've seen, I've seen the picture for this movie, and I thought that it, this was about like kind of a, I don't know why. I thought this movie was about kind of a fun-loving, like, hard-drinking, like, chainsaw guy. Like, he was chopping down trees. It was going to be about lumberjacks doing, like, rough and rowdy lumberjack things. I, I don't really know what that means. But Were that's you high? Like, like, Were you <laughs> this? <laughs> this is just a stone-cold bummer. Yeah. Like, this is a bummer of a movie. Yes, it is. And I was, I was bummed out, like, already from, a, like, a long day and... Uh, then this was even more of a bummer. Now, okay, I wanted to talk about where this movie sits. Okay, so Nick Cage, in these three movies, we have Nick Cage as uh, a wild, wooden hand-having, uh, crazy bread guy, right? We right. have Nick Cage as uh, ex-army ranger, convict, trying to get back to his family. Hell yeah, America. And then we have him as Joe here, completely disillusioned with the system, um, distrust of all and any authority. He fist fights several cops in the movie. 
um, and it's just trying to make his way in this hard Scrabble world. This is in a lot of ways very typical Nick Cage kinds of performances. Like this doesn't quite mark a turning point, but it's pretty close for the sort of roles that he goes after this. Um, I mean, actually, probably the, the pre-stage of this is, is Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Um, is it, he, yeah, Vito? It is. I, it is. Okay. Yeah, you're going to have to take if, my... If you say so, yeah, I will take is, your word on is. that. But then after this, he does, like, other stuff. Like, Mandy is very much, like, a successor to Joe. That is where the alcoholism gets, like, crazier and where the internal struggle gets, like, nuts. Really, really nuts. Um, but this... I wanted to talk where, where we find Nick Cage. We've done this with each of the other ones, so... After Con Air, um, he has this really crazy 4-4, right? Leaving Las Vegas gets the Oscar nom, um, or the win, actually. Yeah, Oscar win. Uh, then we got The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Now it's 1998. <laughs> he can do almost anything he wants. And he does. He, he works with everyone from Brian De Palma with, uh, with Snake Eyes to uh, Scorsese for Bringing Out the Dead. Um, he's in he's in movies with for John Woo like Wind Talkers. He's doing adaptation for Charlie Kaufman. He is working really. He's doing hard. Lord of War. Lord of War. It's, it rules. Lord it of War, it so, does uh, rule. Andrew it's Nichol. a great movie. Um, but he's just working with people that are really interesting and really fun, and also is doing movies that make money, like Next. Um, but so unlike McConaughey, where there is this sort of the reconnaissance, right, that begins with Mud and True Detective, it sort of redeems him from being just romantic comedy trash into being a respected actor again. People like to put that on Nick Cage. I don't think that's the case. He's always been in weird direct-to-DVD movies, and he's also always been in really strong Oscar contenders, and he's also always been in really populist movies. That doesn't change. There just happens to now be more of them. <laughs> There's more of all of them. Uh, like in, in, in 2019. Here are the movies he does in 2019. A Score to Settle, Color Out of Space, which is actually really good, uh, Running with the Devil, Kill Chain, Primal, Grand Isle. <laughs> he stars in all of those. Those are all direct-to-DVD, uh, with the exception of Color Out of Space. And that's that's insane. That's a crazy thing for a crazy person to do. But it's not as if he's not still a star, because the year prior, he's in both Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Like, big movies for kids. Uh, he never stops being this this draw, and I kind of just wanted to reclaim that for people. If you want to look down his filmography, yeah, does he have a year or two where he only does direct-to-DVD? Sure, but he always comes back. You can never keep Nick Cage down. He exists outside of your judgment. <laughs> he does what he wants. Um, and if you take anything away from our Maximum Cage, you know that Nick marches to the beat of his own drum, and always will. And that's, I think, the thing I like the most about him. I mean, he is playing himself this year <laughs> in the unbearable weight of massive talent <laughs> is that a new release that's got to be a new release i think uh i think our next maximum cage might have to be around a new release now i don't want to like make this a precedent though because there are just too many new releases <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I was just saying it's gonna have to be around some new release that he does we'll do a maximum cage episode when and where that will be and what who knows who knows who knows who may know um all right that is what I have uh, for you all. Is there anything extra that you wanted to bring up, Letney, that you, you thought was interesting or fun? Or you had a question uh, about or a problem with? Uh, no, I think we've talked about everything I, I was thinking about. Um, I, I, think, I think, Mike, you, you've convinced me a little bit about, I think I agree with you about the problematic nature of this movie in terms of uh, Gary, or what's his name? 
the homeless guy, Gary Poulter, yeah. Because uh, it does seem like there is a big difference in my mind between uh, Heath Ledger and Gary Poulter, where um, I, I don't, we don't need to rehash all this again, but uh, I guess I was just thinking that with Heath Ledger, it, it, it's method acting, right? He's, he's choosing to do this. And it seems like this is something very different, where he's not method acting. It's the director um, taking someone who is in the throes of, of an addiction and using that for the screen, which does make me uncomfortable. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but I, I see the moral quandary here. I guess it just comes down to then, because um, that is not unique to this movie uh, at all, nor is it unique to, um, nor is it actually unique, really, in, in the name of, of cinema in Hollywood. Um, I guess it then comes down to, like, how much do you want your art to imitate life? And how much, and how close an imitation does it need to be, right? Um, which is always a, a line that many creative people have flirted with, right? How much do we need to pretend for this to be a movie and not to be a documentary? Um, and I think it's a it's a complex question that people have, have fought over and probably will always continue to fight over because I don't think that there's a clear answer um, at this stage. But I'd like to get into that a, a different time. But I, yeah. um, I don't know when that would be. I'd love to do it now. I just feel ill-prepared to do it now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something we've talked about before and we'll talk about again. It's something I think that, I mean, I think anyone who's trying to, to understand artistic work is contending with all the time. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, um, like in 60 songs that explain the nineties, Rob Harvilla, Rob Harvilla. He, he talks through some very problematic and complicated people who changed the face of music um and and like this is this is true it's a, it's a complicated world uh art seems like so letty i do have one last question for you how does it feel to be on the least downloaded episodes of not your father's movies because <laughs> this is going to be one of them <laughs> ain't no one seen this thing and ain't no one watching it just to hear our episode either i was starting to hear mike say this is a bummer <laughs> like nope <laughs> But just in case you have listened to this and for some reason you didn't know about it here, uh, this movie, as of this recording and this release, is streaming on HBO Max. Um, please give it a – please check it out. Please try it, you know? Tell yeah, and I think the uh, – it only made like $300,000 in theaters. So I think this is a movie that no one knows about. It was completely missed. It was completely forgotten. Uh, so, yeah, go check it out. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, I also do. I think this is this is going to be this is in my mind, this is a hidden gem. This is like a little indie movie that you can pull out of your pocket and be like, come on, look at this thing. Also, it did make two point four million um out of but it didn't make back its budget, Lenny. Oh, okay. Yeah. But still like two 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 million in, in twenty thirteen. That means you're right. Like their families went to see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um all right. So I do have to ask a question. I feel like I know the answer. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um, is this a dad movie for me? No, no, very clearly it's not. Um, I enjoyed revisiting this. I enjoyed thinking about these ideas and I enjoy the way this movie presents them. I think they're done better elsewhere, but the unique voice that it's presented in this movie, I think I want to keep to myself and maybe a few friends, but it's not something I'm going to show my children. And it's not something that I will be revisiting maybe ever. Yeah, maybe ever. I don't think so. Um, what, what do you think, Mike? Same here. Um, definitely not a dad movie for me. Um, 
and I'm not going to show it to my kids. I don't know if I'll ever revisit it. Um, there's stuff here that I'm going to remember yeah. um, and sort of hold, you know, like like some of the, the you know, like Ty Sheridan coming out of the crew and stuff. Like that stuff really resonated and, and reminded me of my own, you know, teenage years a bit. But um, But no, it's not a dad movie. Not going to show it to my kids. I think like it does stick with again. you though, because like I, yeah, I saw this eight years ago, and I remembered it long enough to want to discuss it with people. And I think this is one of those movies that does kind of, it lingers and it makes you kind of go back over it and over it. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So sorry, Lenny. What about you, Lenny? Well, I guess this gets back to what's a dad movie, because um, I, I think this is a movie about fatherhood. It is. But it's yeah, it's not a movie that I necessarily want to show my kids. I do think this is a movie I will return to, uh, probably not for a long time, but I think Nick Cage is great in this. I think Ty Sheridan is the real breakout here. I think he's really amazing in this. Um, And that's a performance I'd like to go back and and look at again down the road. Every single time I see him be shitty in another movie, I want to come back to this one and remember that there was a time when he was really good. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's an unnecessary shade, but (laughs) there is times where I see him in things like The Card Counter or Ready Player One where I'm like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? (laughs) There's that moment where um, Joe is just Joe has just agreed to sell him the car and he has this smile on his face that is so pure and felt so real and relatable. Uh, it's just magic. It's the face I see every single time I say, hey, Letney, you want to be on the pod? <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything else you want to talk about with like the fatherhood aspect of this movie? I, I, feel, I feel like we haven't really talked about it, but I don't really know what I have to say. Um, it's kind of kind of just here yeah i mean i guess just that it's 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 about a guy who was a terrible father and a father figure coming in and being a true father figure i guess well also well maybe not being a great father figure i mean he does give him beer and let him drive drunk but um it seems it seems I mean, that sounds like a great dad man. <laughs> yeah he's not he's not he's not don't call him sir I'm your friend. <laughs> We're friends now. Yeah. I'm 40 year 15. It's fine. I'm 40 year 15. I am already drunk. I wish you to be drunk with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's even less of a father movie and more of almost an older brother movie. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't want his, his little brother to fall into the same pitfalls as himself. And, you know, he'll take his brother out and get him drunk and talk about girls, but uh He's looking out for his little brother, I guess. Yeah. At least he doesn't do weird stuff like try and set him up with a prostitute. I was really I was really happy that was yeah. a scene. Yeah, that could have been like, a scene in this movie. And that and that would have been like old good old boy, old fashioned America. And I was like, oh yeah. nope, nope, nope. Thank <laughs> you. Man, that brothel. Oof. Yeah, that was rough. Oof. That was some that rough was stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be on a first name basis, is my advice. <laughs> Today's a special day. I want you. <laughs> oh, he never wants me. I have to cut that out, aren't I? <laughs> all right. Well, uh, for all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, we are closing out uh, Maximum Cage. Uh, and we are going to be coming at you with a little fun thing here. We're going to be doing a, a little Jesse birthday episode at some point around here. And we're also going to be unveiling a little new series for you. So stick around for that. I can't tell you what it is yet. But uh, when we nail down some particulars, we will let you know. 
Um, but for all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Whitney. See you later.